Hey, welcome to the Push Pull Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Marcella. And I'm Sherry. And each episode will provide you with sales and marketing strategies that you can implement immediately into your own business. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Seaman, who is the head of engagement tools at Viafora. Through his position, he leads in the development of real-time SaaS solutions leveraged by over 600 media companies worldwide. Dan has been involved in digital media for over 16 years, has held key strategy and leadership roles in some of Canada's largest media companies, and is an award-winning innovator in mobile media and marketing. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Dan. Thank you very much, Sherry. I'm very happy to be here. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's a quick bio, but can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? You've obviously been in this world for a while here. What is your background and ultimately how did you get to this point? Uh, yeah. So my background was sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm from the era of the web in general being kind of like the wild west where <laughs> there wasn't really defined uh, occupations or professions within it. And, and to be honest, I, you know, when I was in university in the early nineties, not to reveal my age too much, but, um, I, won't tell. I basically, <laughs> yeah, I basically picked up a book called make a website in two weeks and, uh, read that used the computer. My parents bought me for university, uh, and started making websites basically. And, um, and that's sort of where it started. And it was funny because in those days, having basic HTML ability was enough to kind of get in the door to right. um, all kinds of interesting jobs. And, and I sort of fell in love with it very quickly um, and particularly around um, publishing and journalism. Um, and so that's sort of where I started. And, yeah. and my title at the time was webmaster, which is, um, <laughs> which sounds very Which is a sign now. of the times, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it was just like, oh, you know, HTML. Yeah. All right. You, you do everything related to the web. So, well, um, and I'm, I'm yeah. sure that probably has helped you in other areas too. I feel like we are missing a little bit of that as we get into such areas of expertise that, it has to be invaluable that you you came up in a time where you did have to know everything or at least a base knowledge of everything that you were the computer guy, you were the website guy. Um, and it was helpful to have that base knowledge. Um, while the expertise, of course, is invaluable as well, I do see that missing. And I, I try to apply that for myself that I always want to learn all of the pieces. I might not be able to do it as well or as thoroughly as someone else, but I at least want to understand that core concept. Do you feel like you still incorporate some of that to this day? Yeah, absolutely. And and I do consider myself very lucky for uh, having a lot of hands-on experience in, in a lot of aspects of, of producing content and, and distributing content uh, in digital format from the web. And, um, it's definitely informed a lot and, and, you know, doing, uh, sort of early days of figuring out user experience and user interaction models on the web when you really had no, there was no precedent for any of it really. Mm -hmm. Um, I think gives, you know, you, you get a lot of very, uh, deep insight into why things are done certain ways. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to to come from that background. Sure. Yeah, because you weren't doing things. You weren't going to Google and saying best practices for or 10 ways to do X, Y, Z. You were just you were looking at the users. You were looking at the tools. You were you were 
kind of a researcher in that regard, you were figuring out what worked and just running with it instead of following what everyone else said should work. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it sort of forced us unconsciously, uh, I think, to really look at, to be very empathetic um, Mm -hmm. and to force yourself to kind of think about the user's perspective and trying to start from a problem and working towards a solution, which uh, again, it's it's habits that uh, I think are now that you can go to Google and say best practices. <laughs> right. um, these things are true, and and everyone is talking about it. So, um, you know, it, it kind of uh, it, it incorporated into how I think about a lot of the stuff that we do, uh, and a lot of the things we do at Vufora. Um and and it's yeah, it's it's yeah, I think it's helpful to have this sort of gut level understanding of it. Um, and in, in the years since, I've sort of added academic layers onto that, and that's been mm-hmm. great. And then um, that foundational layer is, is, I think, really good. Yeah, for sure. So transitioning into that a little bit, what what is your role at Viafora? What does your day-to-day look like? What is your key focus there? Right. So, I mean, I'm uh, my role is product manager, and I think it's sort of – it's. To me, from a from a digital publishing perspective, it's kind of the natural evolution of that concept of of a webmaster in the sense that I do need to be uh, a generalist and have uh, you know a, an understanding of all of the aspects of how software is developed on the web, how you user experiences work, user interaction, um, user flows, and all of that is is very important to developing these types of tools um, that we develop. And so my day-to-day is really about um, talking to and understanding our clients, our prospects, uh, hearing you know, their difficulties, their challenges, uh, and then translating that into solutions that are, that are based on you know, our core technology and our core competencies uh, and being able to then really measure and make sure that the, the tools that we provide are actually driving outcomes for our customers uh, mm-hmm. in real-world ways. And so um, a lot of that is, is just prioritization. It's you know, thinking through uh, what the solutions can be for the problems that we hear in the market and that we see in the industry, uh, and then working with you know, everybody inside the, the, our team, so the UX side, the developers, uh, on figuring out effective solutions to that. Um, that's that's uh, my day-to-day. Cool. So you mentioned keeping an eye on those problems that you're seeing throughout the industry. What are some of those top problems that you guys are seeing from your end? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think we've, we've come out of, um, or and we are still heavily in the, the digital publishing space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, and we, we've, we're expanding beyond that into other markets as well. And I think everyone knows kind of everyone has a sense, I think of the challenges that the publishing industry is facing. And so um, that sort of is very fertile ground for finding, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges in that space. Um, But as a product manager, as somebody that is trying to solve problems, it is, it's, it's a very fertile ground. There's no lack of, (laughs) <laughs> big, big, yeah, big challenges to try and figure out, and so, um, and I, and I, and I continue to believe very strongly that those solutions are there uh, to be discovered, mm-hmm. um, and that you know the 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 vital role of journalism, 
in our society uh, is is enough to kind of motivate us to really try and solve those deep problems. Um, and it's right. and it's very exciting to be to be part of that and working within the industry to to sort of identify and, and solve those. So some yeah. as my long way of saying some of the big challenges are obviously around uh, monetization and around finding sustainable business models mm-hmm. um, in a world where content is increasingly commoditized and where distribution is increasingly um, controlled by one or two large social media companies yeah. uh, and search engines. And, um, and so that's sort of those, those are the, I think the deep challenges that the publishing industry is facing uh, their revenue models were, were, were very well protected by physical limitations of the expense and difficulty of setting up print distribution, essentially. And, mm-hmm. um, and so the, when those distribution um, channels vanished, uh, then the, the, sort of the price of entry into content production distribution uh, became essentially zero. Right. Um, and so that's, for that's worse. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and what we, what the industry I think discovered is largely that, that the, the value that you can generate from content production is around the, the distribution part. Um, and so if whoever controls that distribution channel is the one that can, uh, can uh, sort of suck up the bulk of the profits that are available. Yeah. Um, well, and I loved your point too, that this is an important industry. We can't just give up on journalism. We can't say, oh, well, it's not really working anymore. It's not really profitable. Like, oh, well, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not acceptable. It's something that is important. Like you said, to our society as a whole, it's something that we do need to care about and provide solutions for and help that succeed in some way or another so that we can continue to gain great content and um when like you said when the bar for entry is so low it does allow some great content to shine that may not have been seen otherwise but it also allows for a lot of noise and a lot of stuff that that doesn't need to be seen um absolutely absolutely so when you talk about distribution channels currently and i agree it's very frustrating if you feel like you're putting out great content and nobody's seeing it that that you're at the mercy of facebook or at the mercy of google um you know even you're at the mercy of you know email used to be more of a sure thing email newsletters but but people aren't seeing it or spam filters are catching it or whatever what what is your recommendation to these types of websites and content distributors, how can they get in front of their audience? How can we start to shift this so that you can more consistently get more eyes on what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a great question and this is really the central question that we uh, at Viafora are working on trying to solve. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of aspects to this that that sort of, um, that I think I need to talk about in order to get to that answer. Sure. And, and one of them is kind of um, what we call the moment-based metric trap, which is, and I think this is where um, the publishing industry certainly has sort of fallen into from a, um, it, you know, from a content production perspective. 
And essentially what's happened is that, that as because of the model of uh, the advertising model that they sort of built their, you know, in the early 2000s, the digital publishing industry built their entire models around mm-hmm. those, um, the, those CPM rates or the amount they can charge for the ads have gone down significantly. Right. Um, and what we've seen is this sort of uh, vicious cycle where uh, quantity became favored over quality of content. Mm-hmm. And as the, as the quality diminished, then, then the, the distinction between the, you know, you, the voice that you have, the content that you produce uh, became clear. And so essentially what that does is produce commoditization. Um, and then as commoditization uh, sort of increases or as, as there's more commoditization of content, uh, then what you find is that your audiences are less engaged. It's the same thing that they can get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads to de- uh, decrease in conversion and retention of the audience uh, and the community that you have around your content. And this, right. this I sort mean, of, I can yeah, even speak to personal experience there where it stands out to me every once in a while I read an article that hits me in a way that I actually look at who wrote it and that you kind of file that away that like here's an author or here's a site I mean how often do we click through something and I don't even know what website I'm on really I'm there for for the article or skim the headlines and I'm not taking note of who's providing that content whether it's the author or the site that that is having that author and that awareness because like you said if everybody's writing the same thing nobody really cares to know who wrote it exactly so i think we've been in this era where um that focus on just sheer quantity mm-hmm. get as many eyeballs on as much content as you possibly can in order to generate ad revenue um that model has has essentially evaporated and um the and again, this sort of this feedback loop where commoditization leads to less engaged audience, leads to lower quality, and the sort of need to produce more and more content has sort of created this uh, this negative feedback loop. Um, and so, the the what we see as the way to reverse that trend is, um, and what the solutions are, and the ways that, and of course, you know, and I should add that that we see these challenges around, um, you know, that of engaging your audience and of building a relationship with them as going far beyond just publishing. And we see this as impacting every brand that's out there. I mean, it's, uh, everybody knows that, um, you know, providing value, delight, providing entertainment, uh, some sort of emotional resonance with your audience is, is vital no matter who you are. If you mm-hmm. want to actually attract people, um, to uh, your content and your products, your services, mm-hmm. um, and so we see the, the sort of the way to reverse this is really to start to think about um, starting with a focus on quality over quantity, uh, because as the, um, you know, the value of a single flyby visit is approaching uh, probably negative numbers, meaning that <laughs> right. it probably is, it probably costs more to serve them that page right. than it, than the, they uh, exchange in value. And so, well, and the other piece of it is that users are so bombarded with content that it almost feels better if you can say, Hey, you know what? We're only going to do one really great article. I mean, maybe an extreme example, but like once a month, or you're going to hear, you're going to get a whole publication, you know, quarterly or something. And it almost feels 
refreshing now because we have gone so far in the other direction where it's three times a day, you're going to hear from us and we're going to push out this content like crazy that I, I feel the pendulum is swinging back a little bit the other way where people are starting to crave less, <laughs> that they do yeah. want it to be more accessible. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that, I mean, it's, it's a hard transition to make because it is, um, because people are trapped. We call it a trap because of, uh, because it really is a trap and it's hard to get out of. Um, and we see the sort of the, the, the first step to getting out of that trap is to change the way that you think about how you measure the success, um, of your, uh, content, uh, and content distribution, uh, model. So really starting to look at, um, the relationship to the audience, uh, and how engaged people are, um, the, and starting to look at, you know, we, we think about attention time as kind of the, the one true metric to really look at. And, and it used to be page views or hits or whatever it was that we looked at. But when you think about, um, attention time, it's, it's really the only, it's the only measure that has a limited quantity. There's a total amount of attention that people can give, yeah. Um, and, and so that attention time, that is, is to us a real measure of the type of engagement that you're driving. Uh, and, and engagement is what we see as the process of building a, a genuine relationship with an audience versus just, you know, catching a few pennies as they, as they bounce back into their social feed. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the, the starting point being changing how we think about those metrics and then retooling around, okay, how do we drive increased, how do we capture more of our audience's attention time? What are the things that is go- are going to resonate with them? And what are the tools that we can provide to them around our content that are going to actually start to build an engaged audience, meaning one that, that doesn't just read it, that actually starts to participate in uh, and, and actively take part in the, the site itself or the content that you're distributing. Yeah, something that I came across on your website that I liked a lot, and I feel like it's not spoken about maybe as often as it should be, but you guys talk about engaging the audience in very incremental pieces (laughs) that start small, that those initial asks of your readers should be very minimal, and to hopefully keep drawing them back in and, and ask for more, and not asking for more as in you know, all the way to like paying for something, but asking for more in that, like maybe the first step isn't commenting or sharing that, you know, what, what can you do? Do you have any framework for a couple steps to build up engagement on your own site? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I think the important thing is to, is to move away from those sort of traditional moment based metrics Mm -hmm. and, and start to, even if you don't use them, right away, but make sure that, you know, ask within your organization if we, if you're, if you are measuring those things mm-hmm. and even just having those metrics start to, to be available, uh, can, can build those conversations and change thinking around, uh, how you treat your audience. Um, and so as you start to measure things like attention time and engagement, um, then I think what very quickly happens is you start to realize that this process of building a relationship with your audience is very similar to how you build relationships with people um, in the sense that, you know, people like to malign small talk, but small talk is actually a very powerful uh, way of beginning that process of connecting with other people. 
Um, and it's, and it, we think of it the same way where, you know, you're not going to dive into a deep conversation about politics or religion the first time you meet somebody. Um, and if you do, that's, they may not be, you know, open to that. And so the, the sort of the process of building relationships starts with, okay, low commitment, low effort, low, you know, let's talk about something easy. And, and the way that we think about that is really around providing ways for your audience to engage that don't take a lot of effort or, or don't require a lot of commitment on their part. Um, and so we sort of built a model uh, of uh, what we call the ladder of engagement, which is kind of like a, a marketing funnel essentially, but it's really about moving people up the stages towards being uh, highly engaged with your content or, and ultimately converting to whatever, whatever that is. So purchase or being a subscriber or signing up or whatever it is that you, that you see as that sort of the, the end goal of that conversion process. Um, and do, so, yeah. Yes. Do you have ahead. some examples of those rungs on that ladder? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the way that we think about this is we start with what we would call anonymous. So this is the very top of that funnel where, you know, and we're, you know, in most cases, most of the people that come to your content will fall into this is unknown users. You don't know anything about them other than where they've landed on your site. You may know a little bit that you can divine from referral data or from uh, their user agent. So what kind of device uh, is available? So there are some little sort of hints that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really see this process of moving uh, to what we call a known user. So a known user is simply somebody who we now know a little bit more about. And that can require very little uh, action. So that can be, you know, they go to at least one more page on your site. Because once you know, this gives you additional data points about understanding what their interests are um, and being able to, to cookie them and, and have a sense of, what their intent intentions are mm-hmm. that kind of that level is uh, that's sort of the first step and that's somebody that's more than just a flyby uh, drive-by visitor right. the next step is a lurker which is somebody that has returned somebody that has uh you know come back more than once and and displayed a pattern of looking at more than one page of your site or spending uh, a reasonable amount of time on a piece of your content from there, we have engaged, which is an engaged user is somebody that actually is actively engaged in the site, and that can be through sharing or uh, you know posting or, or reacting to content, uh, or uh, you know so for instance liking a piece of content, um, and and it can also include things like commenting, and and we really see that as um, kind of the the last step towards full conversion, which is where we call a subscriber or you know. Mm-hmm. A, a, that sort of last conversion step. Um, and there's a few academic studies around this. Um, MIT Sloan did a study and they did an analysis on this process of driving towards uh, subscribers, in this case focused on the publishing industry. And they really, they identified a similar pattern that we'd already been sort of thinking about and working on where starting with small, easy uh, ways of engaging users and moving them up that ladder is is by far the most effective way of converting them. Um, we and I think that for for uh, e-commerce and uh, other brands, I think the same principles all apply. Where in order to build a relationship with your audience, in in order to build uh, 
an audience that is valuable beyond just that immediate flyby uh, traffic, you do need to actually consciously think about how you plan on building that relationship. And and I think the, the what we see is even very, very lightweight ways of engaging with your audience uh, and be that just, you know, a like or, you know, a reaction like that or sharing or uh, things like that are can be very powerful indicators of um, their propensity to to be to, and their willingness to go beyond that and start to engage in more active ways. Yeah, and I think it's kind of comforting to hear too, and it's a good reminder to know that even if you're not seeing a ton of engagement on something initially, that it doesn't mean that it doesn't have attention. That, like you said, if you're measuring the other things, that anonymous people, you know, at that stage are still giving you their attention. That's still valuable. And what can you continue to do to get them to pay you more attention and then to start engaging? And I think it's important to take that step back and keep in mind that just because they're not landing on your site and and subscribing to something doesn't mean that what you're putting out is not valuable and that they're not a potential subscriber in the future. Exactly. And, and, Part of this process, and again, it's, it really is a retooling about how you think about the content you produce and distribute, um, and you know that there's always sort of pains when retooling. But I think it's it's increasingly vital retooling your content uh, around attention and engagement metrics um, really does change the type of content and the way that you produce it and the way that you distribute it, and ultimately with the goal of refocusing on. On, uh, on quality over quantity um, and producing meaningful content experiences um, that, that, you know, create a highly engaging experience for your users. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we've seen that over and over again that this uh, ultimately increases conversion and loyalty um, and that this is a long process. And I think it's important to understand that this is not an overnight suddenly, you know, Suddenly, you're going to change how you uh, produce and, and uh, drive your content, and it, sure. and it ultimately is going to depend on your the audience and the and the sort of community that you want to build around your content. Um, but I think universally, changing the way that you look at the metrics themselves is a really good start, and that will start to inform uh, how you produce the content. Ultimately, okay. the, the content that you produce, the voice that you use uh, is really the key uh, to this. And then providing so the tools that we provide around that to start to uh, use the data science that exists around building those relationships, um, that can help supplement that, of course. And mm-hmm. we really feel that our, our goal is to work with our customers uh, as a partner in helping them to to build those deeper relationships with their audience. Sure. Um, So one thing I wanted to touch on quickly um, is the idea and what we're seeing with social media and how, like we had been talking about a little bit before we got started here, that one simple algorithm change can shift potentially your whole business if you are putting too much weight on these platforms. So what are you seeing there? What advice do you have for us? What options do we have? How can we protect ourselves and look to the future? 
Absolutely. So this, this is sort of, I think that this is another symptom of the same sort of moment metric trap that I was yeah, talking about right. where, where a focus on those sort of um, just volumes instead of quality relationships um, can be dangerous, can be very risky. And we've seen this with, I mean, Facebook overall, you, the trend has been very clear. They're increasingly reducing organic reach of of brands, essentially, yeah. including uh, news, media, you know, e-com, everyone. Right. And so that trend has been happening for a long time. But what we see is that they've oh. done experiments recently of, of little tweaks to their algorithms within certain regions. And we've seen entire business models collapse yeah. uh, as a result. Um, well, I, something, though, that I, I found kind of interesting, I was reading a book um, from another podcast guest. Um, and she was made the point that Facebook's uh, users that she was referring it to it as Facebook's customers are businesses, that it's not the users, but that their customers are the businesses and that they're continually pushing, you know, to get essentially make more money for themselves, that it is a business, you know, and I think a lot of times we forget about that piece of it that, we get frustrated when they shift. We get frustrated when they start charging us more. But if the demand's there and the audience is there, then it does merit a higher price tag. But well, we need yeah. to keep that in mind that, like, it's not always going to be that way. It's not a uh, nonprofit organization that's well, yeah. there to help us out. It was great while it lasted. But in the end, you know, we can't count on that. Exactly. And, and I think that, I mean, ultimately they have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize their right. profits. And because they control so much of the distribution of content, um, they are compelled by law to basically charge for that um, as, a, as, a, you know, as a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- but the principle, again, I, and I like to go back to core principles, which is about building genuine, real, deep relationships with audience um, applies in this case. So I think that um, regardless of what Facebook does with their algorithm, regardless of how much they charge for uh, for distribution on their platform, I think that that having and building that solid base uh, and building genuine relationships with your your uh, audience and customers is going to serve you well, regardless of what happens with Facebook. And, yeah. the, and again, it's, you know, you cannot build, and we've seen it, you cannot build tactics, strategies, uh, and certainly, God forbid, whole business models around, you know, a particular snapshot of what the current Facebook algorithm looks like. Just like we learned, you can't build business models around particular uh the way that Google treats search results because right. they will change it. It will change. And if you're too, if you're dependent on particular patterns of behavior and distribution, then the whole thing is going to sink immediately. And so our over and over again, we know that quality content uh, and, a, and a relationship of trust with your, with your target market is a, it's going to help in terms of, um, getting organic reach through their own social graphs, so through your audience's social graphs, 
uh, and also build you know a, a direct relationship with that audience so you're not caught in a situation where your relationship is completely owned and controlled by a third party. Um, right. And to that point, do you recommend that people start to gradually make that shift to bring people back to their website a little bit more? I guess in the sense that I remember, you know, not that long ago where there were a couple websites that I would, you know, type into my URL or have favorited and I would go visit their site, you know, every day or a couple times a week purposefully to see what they put out. Then I started to get dependent on social media to deliver and that I would only be clicking through what was presented to me. It was easier to go to one place. Um, but as we start to shift and more and more, I'm not seeing the, the, the content from people that I actually enjoy reading their content as much anymore. And I'm starting to find myself seeking that out again. I mean, like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that particular website. I wonder what they've been up to and, and typing in their URL again. Um, yep. Do you – how can we – is there a way that we can encourage people proactively to do that? Or do you think it really, if, well, if we just kind of keep on keeping on and keep out putting out quality content <laughs> that hopefully the chips will fall where they need to? No, I mean, definitely not. And producing the quality content is, is part of it. And it's also, you know, and, and a lot goes into that and we're not covering right. all of what, what it means to actually find a voice for your content to identify your target market and all of that. And that's the first step. Um, where we see things going is really around for content producers, but also I think for brands. So for instance, in e-commerce where Amazon is dominant and, and it's a similar thing where the way that you can differentiate, differentiate yourself from those massive players is becomes increasingly about um, speaking to a particular niche community um, and really being becoming the hub for that community outside of those sort of what I would call mainstream social media channels. Um, so, and, and along the lines of having that hub, I know you guys offer some tools that allow for kind of that commenting and engagement on websites. Um, I feel like a lot of that had had gone by the wayside that even comment commenting on articles isn't always there on a lot of websites or that option to, or if you do there, it's connected with like Facebook, which makes it feel a little bit more public to the people yes. commenting. Um, do you yeah, have something that you recommend to help engage on your site in and of itself? Yeah. So, and, and you know what, like commenting is one sort of facet of, of mm -hmm. building that community. It's not, we don't see it as everything. And certainly, yeah. you know, we, we've, we see it as an important piece of it. And we do believe that, that building a community around your content means connecting your audience with each other and as well as connecting your audience with the content itself, the topics you cover, the authors who produce the content. And mm -hmm. because that's really what a community is. It, it is a, 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 a a matrix of connections between the people who actually participated in it. And the quality of it is, is based on, you know, the, the, how active and, and large that community is um, and how niche it is as well. So, you know, I think that the tools that we provide, we have tools that will allow you to, for instance, very easily follow a particular author on your site, follow other users, um, follow topics, 
uh, things like that where, um, you know, you mentioned typing in the website, typing in the URL. Well, the reality is that people sort of, they, they're not going to come to you on a whim anymore. Right. Uh, you, need, you need to have new channels available in order to reach them. Of course, social media is always going to be one of those main channels. And that's, that's just the reality. That is where most of the discovery is going to happen. Right. Um, but it is very important that as you build, as you start to build that community and, and that, that sort of those deeper relationships, that you develop a, additional channels to communicate with them outside of social media. So one of the ways we do that is, um, you know, we obviously have email notifications. We have um, browser-based push notifications that that can leverage the kind of social activity and the things that they're following in order to generate a stream of of highly relevant personalized notifications. So in a lot of cases, a lot of that kind of like newsletters or browser-based push notifications have been very broadcast based where it's, it just goes out to your whole audience. But as you build a a community and as interactions start to happen within that community, then those interactions are much more relevant to a user than a broadcast message. So, you know, if somebody likes something I said, or somebody that I'm following posts a comment or an author that I really like posts new content on the site, sending that directly to your audience is, is a vital piece of that and starting to build that direct relationship um, because keep in mind, it's, it's the value of, of that audience really comes from sort of building that direct relationship that, that isn't dependent on a gatekeeper who's controlling access to them. Because as soon as you do that, uh, they then control, they are able to command the bulk of the profit and the value from that, that audience member. Right. As, yeah. And, and, and the, as we see, um, so a lot of the ways that sort of the, you know, the ad tracking models have worked is really around looking at, you know, clickstream data. And increasingly, we're seeing a focus on privacy, on controlling who gets to see my data. And, and we very much think that that's, um, that's something that is also going to impact uh, publishers, brands outside of social media. Where And we've seen this with Safari, where they've recently implemented um, this smart cookie uh, tracking system where they will limit the ability for third parties to be able to view uh, who the user is as they traverse the web. And so mm-hmm. this is just sort of another indicator of why it is increasingly vital that you actually control and own that relationship uh, with your audience. Um, yeah. Because the value of a user who has registered, a value of, of a user who, when they come back to your site, uh, you know who they are and you have a history of all of the interactions of all of the content that they've read. Um, what key concepts do they linger on and engage with the most? That's the kind of data that we collect on behalf of our clients as part of that relationship building process. So, and we, we expose those through APIs that then can be fed into any other, you know, marketing automation system, DMP or anything else that you're using. Um, but because we actually power those inter- interactions and that engagement, we have sort of a direct line of real-time data that you can feed uh, so that you own that data about your audience and it's not somebody else. And like you said, you know, people like Facebook comments, people like Discuss, not only are they single point solutions that are really only addressing one small piece of what it means to engage with your audience and to build a, a community, even when they do that, they're not giving you the data and the information 
about who they are. And so it's not, it's not building a real relationship. And it's certainly not building one that you own. And that's sort of where we see our role is because we are a partner in helping our customers to build those relationships and build a community. All of that data belongs to the customer. We're not keeping that data. This is your audience that your hard work, that your sweat and your effort has produced. Uh, and that loyalty of that audience that you're building belongs to you. That's the value you've created. And so we see our role as really giving you not only the tools to build that relationship, but also to uh, you know, take the value of that relationship and be able to use it in meaningful ways through the, the real-time data API. Yeah. No, I think that all makes a lot of sense. Um, as we wrap up things here, we ask all of our guests, if you have any recommendations, um, like a book, maybe there's an app, a course, something like that, that you would recommend for people. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot being written about these topics and, you know, and it's, it's sort of hard to narrow it down, but, I, but I think that one of the, one of the books that, that we sort of recommend fairly frequently, um, is uh, by Jake Batsell, and it's it's called um, the Engaged Journalist, and and I think that and again the principles that we talk about around building a deeper engaged relationship with an audience and building a niche and uh, and a community around it apply even beyond just journalism. And I think that um, yeah, so he's he's a, a professor at SMU, uh, and the, the you know he's been a a journalist for a long time. And so he has a deep understanding of how um, engaging with an audience can be incredibly powerful and how having that sort of the, the connecting with a digital audience can is within your power uh, yeah. and understanding how to sort of think about new ways of, of, of building those relationships beyond even just the digital space. And so, you know, I would definitely recommend um, that book for sure. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. I'll have to look that one up. Um, how can people find you? Uh, so so uh, we have our site, viafora.com. Um, mm -hmm. I highly recommend going there, taking a look at um, the tools we offer, uh, the way that we think about um, engaging with your audience. And a, a lot of the things I've talked about are covered by a lot of the, the blog posts that we provide. And we've done uh, a lot of case studies as well, which really show uh, the positive impact that refocusing on um, relationship building over those sort of moment metrics, those hits, those page views, uh, can have a really meaningful impact on your business. Uh, and I think, like I said, it's to us, it really is the only option that you have in order to build a solid, uh, predictable business versus relying on uh, third parties to own your audience or to control access to your audience. Yeah, I think that's all extremely important. And um, there's a lot of takeaways there, whether you're looking at the broader picture, or you're looking down to the detail that that engagement and that genuine relationship needs to drive things from from every angle. So I appreciate your time, Dan, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And um, yeah, no problem. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. We'll talk to you later. That wraps things up for this episode and wanted to remind you guys that you can always find show notes at pushpullsales.com. You can also connect with us on social media. We are at Push Pull Sales on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
You can reach out to us anytime if you have feedback or topic suggestions or want to be a guest on the show. You can simply email us, pushbullsales at gmail.com. You can also support our show at patreon.com slash pushbullsales. Thank you to bensound.com for our intro and outro music. And thanks to you guys for listening. Tune in next time where we'll tackle another topic. See ya. Thank you.